0: Georgia's connection to the ongoing House Speaker drama.
1: We should be fighting on the work that we're doing, and that's by getting to 218 and demanding good things be done. Not in here fighting over a Speaker race.
0: Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein.
1: And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal Constitution. If you're just listening to us for the first time, welcome. And be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And be sure to rate and review us while you're there because it really helps us grow the
0: show. Patricia, we've got such a packed show today, but before we begin, we were just together at the AJC headquarters in Dumwoody, Georgia. For our meeting with our new publisher, a former CNN executive who seems to have done all sorts of things in the world of journalism, Andrew Morse, we'll have a special episode of Politically Georgia over the weekend with our interview with our new publisher, our new boss's boss's boss.
1: Yes, I have to say, I was legit impressed that Shaney B scored that interview, because it is hard to get people on the record in the first days of their jobs. It really is. And I think it's going to be great to, first of all, just talk about the work that Andrew Morse has done in the field. And a lot of it is just super cool. Um, Then also for people to hear about his plans and his thoughts for the future of the AJC here in Georgia. So look forward to that.
0: I know the two of us will be among the most interested in his plans for the future Exactly, our, not newspaper, but news outlet.
1: <laughs> well, coming media up, company.
0: Media conglomerate. <laughs> well, coming up on today's episode, we're going to talk about the Speaker Saga. We're going to hear the latest in Georgia's bid for an early presidential primary. Subhead Patricia's prediction may have been right. And we'll give you a quick legislative preview, but of course we'll be talking a lot more about that next week. And we're going to hear your questions from the listener mailbag and our Who's Up and who's down for this week. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC.
2: hip-hop is a product of black people it's a product of black song and celebration the atlanta journal constitution presents hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the south a southern hip-hop story we always go back to that moment of the source awards everybody wants a rhythm but they don't want to bloom the biggest names in hip-hop atlanta is
0: still the mecca for
2: hip-hop 50 years no one can deny one film the power of the south now the south got something to say Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop.
0: Okay, Patricia, as of this taping, there is still no U.S. House speaker. I could change by the time our fine listeners hear from from us, but at this moment, Kevin McCarthy's bid to be the next U.S. House speaker is still in limbo, vote after vote after vote. There's been seven as of this taping has gone nowhere for him, and Georgia's right in the middle of this. Let's start with, I think, the most intriguing Georgia character in this drama, it's Marjorie Taylor Greene. Patricia, she might be one of the most surprising supporters of the establishment-friendly candidate, Kevin McCarthy. What, what do you think her motivation is?
1: So I have been so fascinated by Marjorie Taylor's green posture with McCarthy really since the beginning of 2022. She has made it known that she was um, with McCarthy, that she supported him for any eventual role as speaker when they were trying to win back the majority. And she's been speaking out in his favor for months now. And a part of that, also, we've seen him supporting her when he was giving his speech about his own vision for the Republican Party and a House majority. Marjorie Taylor Greene was just right over his shoulder, visibly placed to create sort of a visual unity ticket that said, here is Kevin McCarthy, sort of establishment guy, we all know him, but nobody worry because the Freedom Caucus in the form of Marjorie Taylor Greene is also with McCarthy. So it sort of created this portrait that he had the Freedom Caucus locked up. In the process, that also really served to legitimate uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Even without committee assignments, she started to be looked at as somebody who was going to have some real juice and a House majority because of the relationship that she had been able to build with McCarthy. Now when we get here and the votes are actually being counted, she's actually an outlier for the Freedom Caucus. She is one of the people who is McCarthy's one of his staunchest allies, no matter who you're talking about, but she's really almost on an island and she is in this huge brawl against Matt Gates, who is somebody she's campaigned with around the country, Mm -hmm. with Donald Trump for more than a year, Lauren Boebert. The two of them were sort of seen as this one-two punch, conservative females really like taking it to the man and um, really working against Democrats. And now she is really on her own with the Freedom Caucus, but also sounding an incredibly pragmatic note. I mean, it's sort of disorienting to hear Marjorie Taylor Greene making so much sense strategically for Republicans for her to say, listen, we are fighting the wrong fight. We need to fight against Democrats. We need to fight to become unified and move forward with our own agenda. This makes us look incompetent. This makes it look like we cannot run the country. And she's right.
0: Yeah. And here's how Marjorie Taylor Greene put it on the Charlie Kirk show when she was asked about why she supports Kevin McCarthy.
1: People need to understand we should be fighting on on the work that we're doing. And that's by getting to 218 and demanding good things be done. Not in here fighting over a speaker race which makes the Republican Party look totally inadequate and not prepared to run the country. And we have to prove we can run the country so we can win the White House in 2024.
0: Look, there's also probably something in it for her. She's rumored to be uh, offered... a uh Plum position on the House Oversight Committee, which of course will be leading investigations into Hunter Biden's laptop and any other actions of the of the White House. Um, but still, you know, she, as you mentioned, she has that surprisingly pragmatic note for one of the the House's most furthest to the right firebrands. Now, the second intriguing Georgian in all this mix is Congressman Andrew Clyde, right next door to Marjorie Taylor Greene, the uh, second-term Congress member. From Northeast Georgia is the only Georgian to vote against Kevin McCarthy in each of the first initial rounds of voting. He hasn't said much about why he's taking the stance other than he's willing to negotiate, um, but he won't say what it is he wants in, in exchange for his support for Kevin McCarthy. He's a member of that Freedom Caucus. We know that 19 or so of the 20 ish Republicans who have voted against. Kevin McCarthy are all members of the Freedom Caucus. They've all been voting in a block. A few of them, like Matt Gates, Lauren Boebert, they're unlikely to ever change their minds, but it seems like Andrew Clyde could be up in the air. I can tell you though, there's a number of Georgia Republicans furious with him for joining this group, for joining this caucus, because as, as Marjorie Taylor Greene says, it makes Republicans look inadequate.
1: Yes. And uh, there's also been talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene taking a position on the Rules Committee. She said that she has not negotiated a position for herself. That's a little hard to believe. Maybe she hasn't gotten any commitments, but she's definitely positioned herself, if McCarthy becomes Speaker, uh, for somebody who would have some real, real leadership in that caucus. But Clyde, we just don't know. He, unlike Marjorie Taylor Greene, he is not tweeting about this. He's not talking about this. He was seen on the House floor on Thursday huddling with McCarthy. So it does look like they're in negotiations. But this is just this extraordinary position for McCarthy to be in. After years and years of trying to become Speaker. I have been covering this guy. I covered him in Washington for years when he, during his first attempt to become Speaker, had to drop out because of uh, the conservatives against him. So he's been trying to consolidate his power base for more than a decade. But he still has this group of 20 who he has given in to Every concession they have asked for, just about. He has said that he would agree to a motion to vacate, meaning that just a single member of the House can call for a vote on his leadership. He has given in on all kinds of demands, yet he hasn't brought any of them over to his side yet. They keep voting against him. And at a certain point, you know, one man's version of grit that's the way McCarthy is uh, portraying this. He's like, well, I'm just going to dig in and you know stick to it and persevere and and then it's it's another person's version of insanity because he is not getting these people over to his side and it's sort of it's my version of just poor leadership if this is a demonstration of his leadership skills it's not going well and if this is how hard it is for him to whip votes for himself what is he going to do when he has to whip votes For really tough issues like spending bills, like the defense authorization bill. If he is going to give in to 20 Republican House members, I don't know where this is going to go, but it's still a cliffhanger. We don't know because nobody else has stepped forward.
0: And what's worse is that when he is caving to their demands, it's not working. (laughs) He's not getting any votes. He's caving to just about every demand and, and he's still losing more speaker votes and yet he still controls at least the voting procedure and until he decides he's going to move on, it's, there's still going to be votes you know, over and over and over again. Um, this is the longest impasse in U.S. history over a House speaker vote since 1859, since before the Civil War. It, humiliation, debacle, I mean, you name it, and Republicans here in Georgia, they're looking to present a unified front in the legislative session, at least to just be a contrast to what's happening in Washington, uh, because there is no clear leader. And in Georgia, we should see the legislative session, um, you know, folks rally around John Burns as the Speaker of the House, Republicans rally around Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones, who will get sworn in next week, and Governor Brian Kemp. But still, that doesn't take away from the fact that in Washington, Republicans are frazzled, fragmented, you name it, fractious, all the FRs.
1: Well, Kevin McCarthy is making history in his speaker bid, and it's all the wrong kind of history. This It is becoming hard to watch, yet I am also transfixed by it because it is so historic and so unbelievable. I just cannot believe that it has gotten to this point. It really also speaks to this incredible divide within the Republican Party, but I don't know why McCarthy isn't focusing more on. He's got 200 House members really solidly behind him, but eventually they're going to start to peel off eventually they're going to start to say listen we have work to do this should have been just this huge victory lap for them this week because they did take back the house majority Mm -hmm. they did do it under joe biden's watch they have so many issues where they feel like they are aligned with the american people and that is absolutely the last thing that they're talking about right now there are also some issues it's fascinating that i think this group of freedom caucus members really does have a point on. There really are some pieces of the legislative process in Washington that are so deeply broken. So much power has been consolidated away from the committee chairs, away from the floor in terms of debate. It really is always sort of um, a question asked and answered by the time it comes for rank and file members to vote on these things. But this really feels like a conversation they should have had over the last year, instead of on the House floor, while uh, nobody can even be sworn in as a member, Mm. it really is. um, It feels like just an incredible lack, literally a lack of leadership. And uh, I'll be fascinated to see where it goes.
0: A reminder, without a speaker, the House cannot pass laws or even swear in its members. So nothing can get done in the US House until there's a speaker. Then the third intriguing Georgia figure in all this drama, Patricia, is Congressman Mike Collins, newly elected Uh, takes the seat of former Congressman Jody Heiss out in northeast Georgia, just just south of of, uh, Andrew Clyde's seat. He had said at the outset of his campaign that he would not vote for Kevin McCarthy. But in another surprising move, he was not one of the 20 or so no votes around the nation. He voted for Kevin McCarthy in every single vote so far, at least. And he hasn't said much about it. I've reached out to some of his aides. Basically, this is what they said, that he was a soft no on Kevin McCarthy very early on. But he sort of walked back his position to potentially supportive of Kevin McCarthy towards then. So they say it's a little bit more nuanced. But either way, very early on, he made it clear that he was going to vote against Kevin McCarthy. And he is now in that coalition of 200 or so lawmakers who had supported him.
1: That's so interesting. Well, it has always been a way for anybody running for office to differentiate themselves against, quote, an establishment candidate or to show yourself as not an establishment candidate to say you would vote against whoever is X running for speaker or running for a majority leader. Mitch McConnell is somebody who Republicans frequently said, I'm not going to vote for that person. And then they typically do. But because there's really not a challenge to that person's leadership, nobody pays much attention. Really, you know, the vote comes and goes. Uh, it was such an overwhelming majority. Nobody noticed anyway. Um, but this is one of the rare instances where people are holding incredibly firm. And now people are counting the votes and saying, I'm sorry, wait a minute, who's voting no, and who's voting yes. And so this is the unusual circumstance where a promise that like that that Mike Collins made is really coming back for people to fact check it. And it's not lining up. So it'll be interesting to see how he um, how he describes it, you know, going into a new session, and it seemed like McCarthy was going to have the overwhelming support of his colleagues. The you know, the sort of the strategic move is to go with the guy who's going to be speaker. He's going to assign the committees. He's going to decide what role you play in the future. He may or may not have raised money for you before, but he's definitely going to do it for you to keep you in office. And so um, strategically, it's kind of a no-brainer to vote for the person you are pretty sure is going to be speaker. But once people start looking at who's uh, heads up and head down, that's when it has become problematic
0: for Collins. Oh, Patricia, before we go to break, Uh, I need to give you some props. Earlier this week, we did a prediction episode where we talked about our predictions for the legislative session and the year ahead. And one of your predictions was that Democrats would not succeed in their push to have an earlier presidential primary. Joe Biden's plan, of course, was to have Georgia join the ranks of the early voting states with a February 2024 presidential primary. We're still not certain how things will shake out, but... Just this week, Governor Brian Kemp kind of came out of nowhere. (laughs) It was late at night at 9 p.m. at night or so. I got a text from Kemp's office saying that the governor is not part of the process. And more importantly, he opposes the move. Now, it's not up to him. It's not up to lawmakers. It's up to Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. But having the most powerful and likely the most popular Republican in the state on board with an idea would be a big win for the proponents of that move. Um, And as we know right now, it's still up in the air. Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger hasn't said much about where he stands, but he said it's going to be a it, it's going to be a haul. It's going to be an uphill battle in a sense because his two stipulations are that both primaries, Republican and Democrat, should be held on the same day, and that they should not jeopardize any delegates. Which means that they basically have to have approval of the national party. And now that Kemp has come out against it, we'll see how that shakes out. But it, it means that Democrats who are hoping to get Kemp on board, who are hoping to get Raffensperger on board have a even steeper climb ahead.
1: Yes. When you are talking about moving primary dates, you are looking at two games of dominoes with blue dominoes and red dominoes, and they crisscross each other. They're interwoven like a DNA string. And so in order to move a primary, the state of New Hampshire has a state law that says it will be the first primary in the country, no matter when anybody else has theirs, they're going first. Then you have to go into the national committees. The RNC has a rule that if any state gets out of order that the RNC has approved, your state will get half the delegates that it should have under the Electoral College. And that hurts your state. It hurts the Republicans in your state. So that's how they keep people from rearranging their own state. Everybody wants to go first, obviously, but that's why they have to have these rules in place to make sure that states don't just start to go in it for themselves. And so when you're talking about an entirely Republican-led state like Georgia, moving the primary date for the Democrats and in the process jeopardizing their own delegates in their own nominating process... That's really hard to imagine happening, especially so when Raffensberger says, I am not doing two separate presidential primaries. That's what that means. It means you, they have to be tied together. That means you have to be within the RNC's rules as well as the DNC's rules. And it just starts to get a whole lot harder and you just sort of see the dominoes all falling in the wrong direction for this concept. Although I would love it if Georgia would move up because it would be so cool to cover. Um, But (laughs) Brian Kemp's making it a lot harder for that to happen.
0: I like this vision of interlocking dominoes. Let's take a quick break. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein with your other host, Patricia Murphy. And we are two of the three authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes in the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community right now by going to subscribe at slash podcast in your first month of unlimited digital access less than a dollar. That's subscribe at slash podcast so you always know what's really going on. Georgia Monday is not just notable for Georgia's showdown against TCU for the National College Football Championship game, uh, but it's also, of course, the start of the legislative session. And we'll be talking plenty more about the actions of the lawmakers under the Gold Dome. But let's talk quickly about what we're most watching. I know what I'm watching. I'm watching the new triumvirate of power in Georgia. Of course, Governor Brian Kemp was reelected. Um, but after the late Speaker David Ralston's death, John Burns becomes the new leader of the Georgia House. And Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones is about to get sworn in as the new president of the state Senate. And so how they interact with governor, how they interact with their own caucuses, how they interact with Democrats, and how they can manage to pull together to pass key legislation and block other proposals, that'll be the thing I'm closely, most closely watching this session.
1: Yes, I will also definitely be watching the same thing. It is so unusual to have really completely new leadership in the Senate and almost entirely new leadership in the State House. And what does that mean between those two chambers? What does it mean for the role of Governor Kemp, who had really been sort of the third of Uh, some co-equal branches of the executive and legislative branches. It really felt like that was a power-sharing agreement for the last several sessions. This time around, what does that look like? Does that mean that Kemp takes more of a primary role in deciding what comes through? Or does Kemp take more of a primary role in deciding what comes through? what role and how quickly does john burns establish himself as leadership and then what kind of a leader is burt jones going to be for the state senate as lieutenant governor we've seen him as almost not quite a backbencher but sort of an outsider of the state senate and now all of a sudden he's in charge of the state senate and how does he really work quickly to bring his members along to control that chamber to establish himself to establish his leadership and um, really take control those are going to be the dynamics we're definitely watching I'll also be watching Jan Jones who is currently the state house speaker she's the first woman Ever to be speaker, she automatically became speaker when David Ralston passed away in November. My Sunday column is a conversation with Jan Jones on talking to her about really what it means to be the first woman in that role. Also, she was not sworn in as speaker; she just automatically took over that role because of the way of the the way that the Constitution is written. But she needed to really move quickly to move the chamber, get it ready to start the next session get ready to set John Burns up as the next speaker and help this entire group of 180 people deal with the death of a man who was really quite beloved in the chamber. So I'll talk to her about that. And she, I've talked to Republicans who expect her to play a larger role in the caucus and in the chamber. Because Burns is going to be new, it really does create a lane for Jones to sort of expand her portfolio in policy and then in other leadership areas as he gets his underneath him as speaker as well so i think just it's just gonna be the sheer sure leadership play that we're going to be watching really carefully
0: we also want to note that it's the anniversary of january 6th and you can go back and hear a special politically georgia podcast along with ajc colleagues david wickert and tia mitchell to go behind the scenes of the ajc's exclusive reporting on the efforts to overturn georgia's 2020 election look for our episode titled inside the Campaign." to undermine Georgia's election. You can also find a link to that episode in today's podcast description. Okay, Shani B., it is time for the Politically Georgia podcast hotline, which, of course, our listeners can call anytime, leave a question, we'll play it back, and answer your question right here on the podcast. That number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. Shani B., we're going to have to tell our new publisher, to get you some more staffers to help with these phone calls. Because, you know, uh, uh, since all your interns got promoted, you need some help, man. Uh, He's a nice guy. He came in, promoted them all, and and here
2: I sit. All by myself with a whole bunch of phones, but some really, really great calls. Oh, that
0: feels so good. That's our first sounder of uh, 2023. Happy New Year. Woo! happy new year so what do we got (laughs) shaney
1: Uh, people are celebrating across the land
0: eyes are rolling everywhere let's start off with our first call this is
2: weston from decatur and he wants to talk about senator warnock's success as a politician i have a theory on Raphael warnock uh just curious to hear your thoughts i think he is the most lucky politician in america um you know he decides to run during the lefler appointment when there's a GOP civil war between Leffler and Collins. Um, And then he gets to the runoff because they beat up each other. And then Trump basically tells Republicans not to vote in the runoff and he wins. And then when he's up for his full term, he gets Herschel Walker. I mean, he's a a good politician, don't get me wrong, but I think, you know, pretty much any middle of the road Democrat would probably be successful under those circumstances. Be happy to hear your thoughts. Thanks.
1: Weston, I don't know if you read my column on this topic or if we just completely agree that i also think that Raphael warnock is um maybe the luckiest man in politics over the last two years with this caveat of course maybe it is maybe i read this on a um fortune cookie but they say that luck is when preparation meets opportunity so the opportunity is that Raphael warnock did come up against two candidates uh, particularly Herschel Walker who were just deeply deeply flawed um and in Kelly Leffler he was going up against somebody who while a billionaire also just didn't have a lot of retail political experience and she just wasn't very good on the stump. She just a little bit stiff, wasn't coming across, wasn't connecting with voters. And then Donald Trump at the top of the ticket just made that an impossible or nearly impossible race for Kelly Loeffler to win. But Raphael Warnock, he may have been in the right place at the right time. First of all, you had to beat a lot of other Democrats to get into that runoff against Loeffler. Also, his biography as the senior pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church, as somebody who has been knee deep in policy issues like healthcare and voting rights for more than a decade, he was so prepared to take advantage of that opportunity both times. And it's just really, really worked for him. So lucky. Yes. Prepared. Definitely.
0: And uh, I just want to second Patricia. I mean, Senator Warnock had to uphold his end of the bargain and if he had run you know, traditional campaign this past year, he might not have won, right? Even against a candidate as flawed as Herschel Walker because he needed to claim the center in a race where Herschel Walker did not. And he was able to effectively claim the center. And certainly, again, Herschel Walker had all sorts of other problems, but Senator Warnock had to basically run a flawless campaign, not just in 2022, but also in 2020 and 2021. I mean, you know, he, he, had to, he was being battered and bruised for past actions, but if he had, had any slip-ups on the campaign trail... They had to become front and center to energizing conservatives. And so he knew that. And um, so Republicans had their issues, but Senator Warnock, as most Republicans would note, and I got tons of calls from Republicans just marveling at how good Senator Warnock's messaging was, how good his TV ads were, and how good his campaign was. So he had to, I don't think a generic Democrat could have done as well as as Senator Warnock. He had to be kind of above and beyond. And that's what he was able to do in his campaign. Yeah. Well, remember, you can call the Politically Georgia podcast hotline or email us or send us a tweet or find another way to contact us. And we would love to answer your question. Okay, Patricia, it is now time. For who's up? Who's down? We always like to end on a high note. So let's start with who's down for the week, Patricia. Can
1: there be anybody who's down more than Kevin McCarthy? This has been incredibly difficult to watch. We don't know by the time this podcast airs whether there has been some miraculous midnight breakthrough. But at the minute, um, it is looking really tough for him to consolidate his votes for speaker. He may still do it, but he will do it in, in an incredibly weakened position if he does. And it's just been a total spectacle in a week that should have been a huge victory lap for Republicans. So I'm going to take my who's down outside of the Georgia area and award it to the one and only winner, Kevin McCarthy.
0: And I'm going to keep it in Georgia, but also kind of echo you. I'd take my who's down as Marjorie Taylor Greene. We don't often talk about her at length in this podcast, but because she had such a surprising endorsement, of Kevin McCarthy and at the time she was seen as this crucial far-right sort of ambassador to her colleagues like Matt Gates and, and Lauren Boebert And instead her her outreach has really done nothing. I mean, who knows how many other cons- far-right conservatives she's helped win over but certainly hasn't up until this point helped win over the 20 or so um, and it's the growing number at this moment. but the, the 20 plus lawmakers who are firmly against Kevin McCarthy, Not only that, but it's devolved into your typical kind of shouting matches back and forth that usually Marjorie Taylor Greene reserves for Democrats. Instead, she's infighting with fellow Republicans. So she's my who's down for the week. Who's your who's up?
1: My who's up is Delta Airlines, because not only has the temperature reached 60 degrees and there are no major delays in the air. Delta dedicated a plane to Vince Dooley earlier this week. In doing so, Vince Dooley, of course, was so beloved, but they also managed to consolidate the entire upper power center of Georgia, of the state of Georgia, at an event unveiling this new plane. And uh, they had uh, Governor Brian Kemp, Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones. The First Lady was there. The Kemp daughters were there. They were all very close to the Kemp family. The Dooley family was there. Barbara Dooley was there, very emotional, and now Delta, which is the official airlines of University of Georgia Athletics, will be using Dooley Air to fly the Georgia football team to the national championship, and it has Vince Dooley's signature across the front, so Vince Dooley, I put that in quotes, will be leading Georgia to the national championship. I think it's a great story and just an incredibly smart way if you want to get on Brian Kemp's good side, a week before George, uh, the session starts, they figured out the right way to do it.
0: Where are those airline tax credits coming in the session? And you're right. Uh, and not only is, is of course, Governor Kemp a, a diehard Georgia Bulldog fan, but he was also so close to the Dooley family. And uh, one of uh, the late coach's sons was Brian Kemp's closest friend growing up and roommate in college. And so they go way, way back. And so this hits home for the governor. And look, championship weekend, how can I not say who's up? georgia bulldogs go dogs dogs. a (laughs) dog well thank you so much for listening to the politically georgia podcast you can count on new episodes to come out every wednesday every friday and look for a special episode in your feed this sunday As patricia and i will introduce you to the new president and publisher of the atlanta journal constitution andrew morse we'll see you then on politically georgia from the atlanta journal constitution